morning. Wow, you can spend a year in that passage. Um, Don't worry, we won't. Uh, Let me pray and uh, get after this. God, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Pray we would see that. Pray I would see that. Um, Thank you for rescuing us. We pray for mercy, God, for um, those that don't know you. We see in this text judgment, but we also see covering for those who know you. So I pray that you do a great work in this day, in this generation, God, to draw people, the peoples to you. Pray we would have that heart as we look around and see destruction and instability that the light of the gospel would shine and that it would be attractive. Um, So renew us in it, settle us in it, strengthen us in your love. That we love you and thank you. Amen. So we're in these few chapters here in Isaiah uh, where Isaiah is really zooming out, looking toward the end, what is called the day of the Lord. We've talked about that a bit as we've moved through Isaiah Um, It's really keeps coming up in chapters 25, 26, and 27. So, But let me just review here. If you look at chapter 26, it says, In that day. Well, what day? He's talking about the day of the Lord when there's final judgment and final restoration for God's people. It's what Peter refers to when he says this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, which means you don't know when, unannounced. And what will happen? The heavens will pass away with a roar. So this is the re- doing of all of creation. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There will be a lot that goes on that day, including the resurrection. This is referenced in the previous passage that Joe preached on at 25, verse 8, if you look back there. It says, He will swallow up death forever. Right? So death will be no more. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And later on in chapter, today's chapter 26, verse 19, it says this. Your dead shall live. He's talking about those who belong to the Lord who have died. What will happen? They will live. Their bodies shall rise. So you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For God's dew is a dew of delight in the earth will give birth to the dead. This is the end times. Final judgment, resurrection of the dead. And there's a city. And that day, this song, verse 1, will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Because as we see in this new heavens and new earth, there's a city. Listen to this. This is Revelation 21. John speaking. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, right? It had passed away with a roar. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we have this idea here of this city that is a refuge. It's a place of salvation. We have a strong city. He, God, sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks, right? So if you were to build a city... And it's back in those days especially, and you wanted it to be safe, 
you would build a wall around the city, right? Like they did in medieval times. That wall is the salvation of God. He sets up a strong city. He sets up salvation. That's the wall. It's the salvation of God. It's the mercy of God. It's what keeps us safe. So there's this idea of this new city that God is going to build. We know we need this. You guys have been reading the news at all. You've probably heard about CHAZ, or CHOP as it's called. It's the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle where protesters and various people have they've gone in. And you know what they've said? We need a new city. And you can critique their methods and their ends and where it's all headed. But what I look at today when I see that, I say, they're right. They look around at this world and they say, we need a new city. Their needs, they're calling for revolution and overthrowing of all the structures. And they're right. The problems are so big that the heavens and earth must pass away. They're not going far enough. There is a desire that they have for a new city. They look around and see brokenness and injustice, and they can make their list, and you might not agree with the list. And you may agree with the list. But we can agree that the heavens and earth need to pass away, that we need a new city, that the cities of man will not do that they are corrupted with sin, that there is brokenness, that our hope is only the salvation of God. And whatever new city they would, could manage to build, guess what? That one would have to burn. This desire for a new place, a new city, has driven so much of human history. It's one of the reasons many people came to the new world. Some people came to take money and kill and murder and whatever, all the bad stuff. But some people came because where they were was hard and unjust and corrupt, and they sought a new city. There was a desire in there, a pioneering spirit to seek a new life. And a new city was built. And that city will be toppled. We've talked about this. There's an enduring desire for righteousness, for goodness, and we try... We try in our subsequent cycles of revolution and establishment of new kingdoms. And some of them do better than others. And, but Christians, they must fall. They will not do. It's gotten so bad, people are talking about going to Mars. Right? Elon Musk wants to go to Mars. He said he wants to be buried on Mars. This is, drives a space exploration. I was listening to a, a gentleman this week talk about the idea of seasteading. I don't know if you've heard of this. But it's a, it's a movement where they're looking at the land. They said, there's no more new land. There's nowhere else to go. There's no new world. The water. We'll go out to the water and we'll build. They have these seasteads they build. And you can join them together and build cities. He's casting this vision for this utopia. Well, he wouldn't call it a, a utopia. To be fair, he would say there's going to be problems. <laughs> But the point is he wants a new city. He looks around at the U.S. and the constructs of government and constraints and all the systems. And rather than saying, let's burn it down, he's saying, let's cast, let's sail, let's go. There's a desire for a new city. So I just say, go for it. (laughs) 
Help you build a, a fair city as fair as you can. But see, the best we can accomplish here on earth is what's called approximate justice. Justice is in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. It's the city of God where Jesus rules. There's justice. Here, we can get approximate justice. Which means it's, it's close, sometimes better or worse, right? It can go really, really, really bad. It can get a little better. It can go worse. You can swing the other way. You're never going to lock. And I'm not saying don't try. Don't seek it. Seek it. Seek approximate justice. That's all I can ever achieve at my home. Approximate justice. But where, where, what are we longing for? We get so angry when our things are threatened, when our kingdoms are threatened. Can I tell you how I feel about the statues? Let them go. Did you hear this? Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we want to bring to remembrance. They're dead. They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction. You wiped out all remembrance of them. The statues of men are not meant to stand as a remembrance. Let them go and don't put new ones up. Let's just not... God, let God be our remembrance. Let God be what we long for. Let God be what we lean into. I don't want you to put up a statue of me. I'm not worthy. Who are the worthy men? Here's the basic argument. These men are worthy, unworthy of statues. Agreed. Can we stop with it? Raise your hand if you're worthy of a statue. <laughs> Joe Brinkman, my, my daughter. You are a statue, Joe. Abraham was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. This is Hebrews. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living with intense, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Oh, listen to this. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. This is where we are, folks. The new heavens and the new earth, the city of salvation that God sets up, we greet it from afar. So build your chaz, build your seasteads. That's fine. And we can do it. But what am I greeting from afar? What holds my heart, my affection, and my imagination, and my hope? We desire a better country that is a heavenly one. But what's so great about this city? I'm not going verse by verse. I'm just going to highlight a few things here, right, as usual. There's just too much here. But what's so great about this city? What makes a home a home? Aubrey and I got a new home a couple years ago. Many of you have been there. I love it. It's built 
like 1968, it's got this great mid-century modern feel. It's a great layout. I love the house. Big windows, lots of light, brutal electric bill. Um, <laughs> who cares? Like some, every once in a while, my wife and kids go on vacation. You know, they'll go to Ohio and I'll stay here and work. And the house is dead. It's the inhabitants. They give life. My wife, she's a maximizer of flourishing life. And I feel that when she's gone. Let me maximize her. There's like 130 plants in our house right now, I think. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. It's pretty rough. Um, but it's the inhabitants. And the key inhabitant of the city is God. Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne, right? This is looking at the end and looking at that city. John that said, I saw the city come down, the new Jerusalem, he says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We won't even, I think, to some extent, notice the city. We'll just be with God. John Piper, who's a popular pastor and author, wrote a book called God is the Gospel. And what he's saying is that God is the gift, right? It's not that God gives us other things, right? He didn't send Jesus to die for us so that we get other stuff. He died, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have God. Sin is a separation from God. The cross is an answer to that separation to reconcile us to God. God is the gospel. He's the gift. This is the way John Piper puts it. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness. So, so if you're going to go see Steading or build Chaz or whatever it is, and you, and, and you have your list, here's our list. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's our new rules and our new, you know, uh, amenities and all that, like, uh, my question is, is Christ on that list? Because what if we could have all that? If you could have heaven with no sickness, health care for all, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, right? No enemies, just friends, people you get along with. And all the food you ever liked. No one's hungry. No more welfare state. No food stamps. All the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, public parks and pools, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, healthy ecology, right? Healthy climate, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict, no more war, or, human, or natural disasters, would you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Now, Piper speaks a little strongly, and I want to, I want to nuance this a little later, but it's a fair point he's making. Listen, people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Why? Because God is the gospel. That's the goal. God is the goal. He, it's the inhabitant, not the city. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, and this is the sentence that I just think slays me, if we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Now, here's where you, uh, 
this is where I have been, okay? And we're going to sit here. There's, there's some shocking language that we need to hear. Listen to this. As I was reading through chapter 26, listen to this description of God's people longing for him. Verse 8. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. And I'm looking at this yesterday and like, is that me? John Piper says, if we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted. Now, the reason that's a fight is because I vary, right? Someone asked me this morning, how, how have you been? Oh, geez. Well, you got two minutes before the service. Sit down. I'll tell you in a few minutes. Here's how I've been. I'm all over the place. I, I'm, I'm, I, I get angry. I get frustrated. I get distracted. I'm petty. I have petty pleasures. I want to be left alone. I'm like, like, am I this man who just wants God above all things? Well, I think the real me, born again in the Spirit, would say yes to that. But I am encumbered by the flesh. I live like Paul does in Romans 7. I have the desire to do what's right, to greet my heavenly city from afar and to long for God only, and that's, that's in there. But I have not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's what I'm saying. Don't make a statue of me. This is, this is war. How could it not be? That description in verse 8 and 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. These are the biggest questions in the universe, you as a being, a created soul, what do you want? Do you want your creator, your God, or do you want your idols? This is the battlefield. It's not easy. I was talking with a pastor recently who described to me how after years of victory over pornography crept back into his life and he was in a dark place and kept it secret and it led him to desires of suicide because he doubted whether or not he was Christ and he said at least if I was dead I would know how could it not be war how are you it's a fine question. Take no offense, but it's fine, right? What's at stake? What's going on here? Is there is war, and it, and there's spiritual war, and, and cosmic war. There's a cosmic level, right? We've talked about this. There's angels and demons and dark forces. And I don't know a lot of what they do, but I want us to know that these battles meet, manifest in our hearts, there's a great poetry book written by John Piper about Job. And if you know the story of Job, right, he's a righteous man, right? 
not perfect, don't make a statue of him. God's about to prove you shouldn't make a statue of Job. And Satan says, basically, let me tempt Job. We'll see if he really desires you above all things. <laughs> and God's like, okay. Because God's in the business of revealing to Job that Job doesn't really desire God above all things. And that will be a moment of healing and repentance. But there's this conversation in, in heaven. And the way Piper describes it, this is like the temptation is coming, right? And Job doesn't know it. He's just working in the field. And then Piper says this. Job lived in a, a place called Uz or Uz, I don't know. Uz. The sky above the land of Uz had changed the way the ocean does when some leviathan upswirled beneath the waters of the world roils deep and turns the regal blue to gray and streams blood red broke through the dawn and flowed along the brink of earth and heaven as if the link between earth and heaven were in dispute and some great war were being fought to settle more than Job could ever dream. I don't have the ability to carry this out. I agree with John Piper that I should love God more than anything, that my heart should be fixed on the new heavens and new earth, and then I face with myself, and I am weak. And it struck me yesterday that this isn't just me. This isn't just you, Donovan, and your weakness. There is a cosmic war, and you need to cry out to Christ. Yes, Piper is saying... This was, guys, I literally was there yesterday. Just like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just not. But this was what was helpful to me. Yes, Piper, God is the gospel. You're right. He should be my ultimate treasure. And P Piper's highlighting a good thing, which is God is the end. But what I needed refreshed and reminded of was that God is also the means Listen to this, verse 26, or chapter 26, verse 12. You, O oh Lord, you will ordain peace for us. You have indeed done for us all our works. It's, there's, a, there's something to be said to look inside and go, okay, self-examine, am I really loving God? Am I? But that can become a death trap, a cell. They say here, oh, we've had other lords, and one of them is me, and I am a merciless lord to myself. One pastor put it this way, for every look at yourself, take ten looks to Christ. And instead, I'm taking a hundred looks to myself. Take ten looks to Christ. Because here's the thing. If Christ is the object of our joy, C.S. Lewis teaches about this. If Christ is the object of our joy, that means that that's who we're looking at. And that creates the joy. But when we take our eyes off that and look at anything else, including our own experience of faith, that, 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 that's cut off now. I'm no longer looking. Christ is the merciful one. I'm the merciless one. So I do believe that like, there's spiritual battle there. It's like, hey, 
Are you really loving God? Do you really love God? Are your affections fully for God? Do you delight in the new city? Is that what you're greeting from afar? And I'm going, no, no, no. It's a trap. So we're here to remind each other. We forget. We forget. One of our pastors, um, I won't name names this time, but I, I was teasing him about this the other day. Whenever I call him, he answers the, the phone with a question. Right? He says, hello? Like, he, you have caller ID. But I, I was telling him it's more like, I picture this scenario. He, it's post-apocalyptic, right? The cities have fallen. Technology hasn't worked for 100 years. Thirty years, whatever, and, and right, and nothing. There's been no communication. They've been isolated. The trees have grown up around the city, and they're just locked up in their hole, living off canned goods. They haven't heard the voice of another human being. The phone rings. They look at the phone. They look at each other. They look back at the phone. Hello. That's how he answers the phone. That has nothing to do with the message. I just wanted to. <laughs> Sometimes you have a funny thing to get in. No. No, it's, it's just, I don't know. That's how, we forget, right? We forget, like, God, I get, I get lost in the weeds. I forget the voice of God. I don't, I don't recognize the trappings of accusation. I'm living under accusation. That's not the voice of God. God does not accuse his children. He never accuses his children. He may correct you. He may, and we can talk about what that looks like, but that's the voice of accusation. The voice of God leads to joy, leads to healing. It does not lead to despair. It does not lead to fear. And then the voice of God comes in and says, I'm also the Savior. I have done the works for you. And I'm like, hello? It's been so long. So there's a new city. How do you picture, it says this. Open the gates, verse 2, that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. How do you picture yourself running into that city, right? Sometimes I picture myself running, right? Sometimes I, there's a video that's been going on around the internet with this guy that could barely finish a marathon. Like he fell over like three times and then at the very end he just like fell down and rolled over the, the, the finish line. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes, well, really, I'm probably, like, going to be on a stretcher. This is God is merciful. We're not getting to heaven. It's a wall of salvation. It's from him. It's a gift. We're not entering the city because we ran the good race, ultimately. If we ran a good race, God empowered it. Got to look to his mercy. I don't have anything else here. What we're going to do is look to Christ together. That's what we're doing. We are singing a song called Before the Throne of God Above. And there's a line 
when Satan tempts me to despair. That's that voice. And tells me of what? The guilt within. You don't love God like you should. He's right. But God loves me like he should. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. That's where we got to look. Eyes off of this. Eyes on him. He loves. He's faithful. He saves. He has done all our works for us. So we're going to enter a time of response and look to Christ together. Let me invite the uh, musicians up. and If you've been giving online, thank you for doing that. There is Now that we're doing live services, you can give. There's offering boxes by the doors. Thank you for your support, Redeemer Church. Um, yeah, we're going to sing, sing to Christ. And we're going to sing outlandish things, right? As always, we, we sing things that are beyond where we are, right? But they're prayers. We're asking God to close the gap. God, there's you, loving and merciful, and here's me, unloving and merciless. <laughs> Would you close that gap? I want to be there. Right? We turn these songs into prayers. Ask for transformation, and we will take communion. So um, the reason that we chose to use these little handy snacks is, uh, one, ultimately we don't, we don't really, we're baptist we don't really think the form, the form matters all that much. Uh, we've, we're not doing it like they did already, uh, but uh, just less handling, less walking around, touching, and things like that. And so just in your own place, if you didn't get one of these, um, we'll have someone in uh, the aisles that, can, that you can get one from. And uh, yeah, just on your own with your family when you're ready, there's a little top layer that you can peel off. And get the wafer and then the bottom layer you peel off and with the juice you can pray together. So let me ask God, well, let me, let me just remind us of the words of Christ. This is where he did all our works for us. I mean, he's ultimately always doing it, but at the cross, most clearly, definitively, our sin, our iniquity, our un- unlove, our weak affections, all these things were nailed to the cross, right? It's where the works were done for us. Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, symbolizing the breaking of his body, and he gave it to them. And he's saying, this is my body, which is given for you. He does the work. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me and my work for you. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's the body and blood of Christ shed for us. He's our Savior. So let's go to him. God, we love you a bit. So stir within us, God, and continue to work in us and draw us near. Show us your mercy and power. We love you and thank you. Amen.